Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. It's a victory Monday. Never will be heard a discouraging word about the Las Vegas Raiders. You're 2-0 Las Vegas Raiders, except for more than a few discouraging words, along with the very encouraging words about the Raiders after they go to Pittsburgh and win 26-17. Ed Graney is still in Pittsburgh. Tyler Bischoff is taking a Marcus Royal victory lap. He'll be back in the building soon. Adam Candy and Willie Ramirez filling in this morning. Jared at our Finley Toyota Studios. And Derek Carr threw for 382 yards. The Raiders somehow rushed for two yards per carry and won a football game in Pittsburgh. And Willie, uh, this seemed to be one of those games where the Raiders showed an evolution. John Gruden showed an evolution. In Derek Carr's first few years in John Gruden's system, he averaged a little better than five deep pass attempts per game. And through the first two games, and notably in this one, Derek Carr has averaged 10 deep pass attempts per game, and none more important than the game-deciding play to Henry Ruggs in the fourth quarter for a 61-yard touchdown. Uh, Are we seeing a new Las Vegas Raiders offense with John Gruden and Derek Carr pushing the ball down the field? Well, I think what we're seeing is um, a lot more of a confident and team-oriented Raiders offense with John Gruden and Derek Carr. And maybe it's always been there, as as Gruden alluded to in his press conference yesterday and saying that I've been clamoring about this guy since I got here. Um, I just think what, what I found very interesting and um, was happy to see is how they somewhat utilized the receiving game the first two weeks of the season. That first game on Monday night, we were all on social media the first half of the game against the Ravens saying uh, he does have other targets besides Darren Waller, and then he didn't target Waller until you know early in the second quarter for the first time showing that receiving depth. So I think what you're seeing is that it's a, just a lot more of a confident bunch um, because some of those guys, even though they're second-year players, this offense has been in place outside that offensive line, a patchwork offensive line. And when you're putting together new guys and new roles on the offensive line to protect your franchise guy, um, that takes a lot of trust. And then you have guys going down, you know, Leatherwood yesterday. So I, I think that's what it is. Um, I think the mindset's always been there. I just think that there, there's, there's a lot of trust on the entire on both sides. And we have talked, you and I have talked about this. Um, you guys have talked about this. We, we have discussed this, is that this is a different, and they said it yesterday, but we've been saying this. I know I've been saying this, is that it's a different energy. It's a different vibe. It's a different feel with this year's team on the whole. 26-17 is the final. Derek Carr, 28 of 37, 382 yards, 10 yards per attempt, as we mentioned, no interceptions, takes a couple of sacks, and something that's notable to me in all of this. So 
the offensive line, as you referenced, the patchwork offensive line for the Raiders. If you go by pro football focus grades from yesterday, the five offensive linemen who started the game were the five lowest graded offensive players for the Raiders. But it's deceptive because if you dig inside the numbers a bit, you see that four of those five, Alex Leatherwood being the exception, were pretty usable in pass blocking and not particularly great in run blocking. Jermaine Illuminor had an 88.1 pass blocking grade. Colton Miller, 80.6. Leatherwood, the exception, uh, even before he went out, heard Alex was not having a great game. A 14 pass block grade is about as low as you can get, but a 65 uh, run blocking grade, which goes along with who we thought Alex Leatherwood is. Remember that Josh Jacobs did not play yesterday. Right. For the Raiders. Peyton Barber, 13 carries for 32. Kenyon Drake, 7 for 9. So I think there's a reasonable case to be made that taking Josh Jacobs away from John Gruden makes John Gruden call this offense in a much more modern way, in a way that is going to help the Raiders win more football games. Seven targets for Ruggs, seven targets for Waller, seven targets for Renfro, six for Kenyon Drake, three apiece for Brian Edwards and Foster Moreau, two for Derek Carrier. Sneed and Ingold with one apiece. When John Gruden does not have a bell cow back to rely upon, yes, they still called a lot of runs, but they let Derek Carr become the quarterback that can win football games for this team by himself. And he's showing this year in the first two games that he is capable of doing that. He is, and, and that's the offensive mind that comes in. I, I always found it interesting, Adam, that when they talked about this being a run-first offense. It's, their mindset is to run the ball, whereas I feel it's more of a balanced offensive attack because of the fact that you have a dynamic guy in Darren Waller and what he's been able to do. I get it, Josh Jacobs is a multi-season thousand-yard runner, but uh, Waller has done the same, and, and, <clears throat> and Carr has somewhat entered this conversation as to whether or not he's an elite quarterback and and whether or not he's he's a clutch quarterback but yet they have they've had the targets and now it's now we're seeing the depth sort of come to fruition but um, I, I I've always thought about this offense as, as more balanced than run first and you're right by taking Josh Jacobs away um, and him you know going down being a scratch for this game being listed out it's it's sort of forced the team to it's almost like a, a you know a basketball team that loses that number two or even the star player where you're forcing to see the greatness from a lot of other players bring their best out of them and guys rallying around next man up man, uh, mentality in in that you know Gruden is putting to work and bringing the talents out of many other players Kenyon Drake you know he had seven touches out of the backfield but he had six as you said he was targeted six times five receptions well throughout training camp and preseason the talk was that Drake allows this team to be uh, to 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 uh, allows his team to use somebody out of the backfield as a target, and you saw that when they started down uh, <clears throat> inside the two three yard uh, what was it right up to the goal line, they started that drive, and basically uh, Drake coming out of the backfield and catching the ball on the run was their running game for a few plays. So it's allowed him to sort of expand the playbook, open things up. And, and really balance things out and bring the best out of a lot of people 
to and bring and get them to play to the best of their ability. And that is something that this Raiders offense has tried to, I think, unsuccessfully do in the past. And now we see it. We see it where the Raiders have a play caller in John Gruden who knows how to get the most out of the players that he has. And yet at the same time, still kind of has to be coaxed to do it. Uh, still has to be coaxed to say, hey, it's it's okay. You can talk about establishing the run. But we've seen, and John Gruden has, uh, you know, he, he has his analytics award that he, that he loves so much to talk about from the Khalil Mack trade. But we've seen that now you have an offense that is coming into the new era of football. 37 attempts for Derek Carr really make it 39 uh, when you add in the couple of sacks. So he calls more than 40 dropbacks. And I think what's notable about that is that he calls more than 40 dropbacks, does John Gruden, with the Raiders leading the game. And it used to be that we what we would see with the Raiders is they would get a lead and then yep. John Gruden would sit on the ball. He would want to run the ball and try to shorten down the game. And that didn't happen in this one. Now, Granted, the Raiders still win time of possession, 34 to essentially 26. But, Willie, the biggest play of the game, 16-14 in the fourth quarter, third down and long, and Derek Carr finds Henry Ruggs for a bomb touchdown. Um, what jumped out at you most about that particular play? Because it felt in that moment, with the momentum the Steelers had gained, that if the ball went back to Pittsburgh – they might just go ahead and take the lead. Instead, the Raiders put the game away. Well, it goes back to what I said earlier: was is trust and and and, and having the targets. And you know, as as um, you know, you heard the broadcasters saying, and as we saw the Ravens do, you know, toward the the, the middle of the game, is Waller started getting bottled up, and he's getting the focus. And by doing that, it allow you know you, you're seeing that Gruden is willing to take some shots take some chances and in that time you know and, and and if you fast forward to last night's game it's like Harbaugh looking at Lamar Jackson and goes do you want to go for it do you want to go and we're seeing that Gruden and Carr are in sync and they're almost speaking to one another mentally and he knows what Carr's capable of doing they have been working on a lot of these things in training camp we saw this so many times out at the facility where Carr was using Brian Edwards or Henry Ruggs in specific situations against its own defense, of course, but um, in being able to use their talents, their specific uh, specific talents in specific plays, specific situations. On that situation, you know, you have Ruggs being able to isolate and break down using his speed, you know, and then his ability to sort of read the ball. He made a last-second adjustment to catch that ball if you saw it and as rug said my first you know my first thought was don't drop it you know what i mean make the adjustment and don't drop it he was he was running in full stride and he made a slight adjustment at the end to catch to to, to run into and receive that ball and it goes back to the trust between gruden and Carr, the relationship they have and knowing the sort of that off-season work that Carr puts in and demands of his teammates they talked about that a lot is, you know, it's all about the guys that are willing to show up at 530 in the morning during the offseason and get that extra work in. You know, do other teams do that? Yes, I'm sure that there are teams that have relationships so on and so forth. But Carr has always sort of 
talked about building relationships, not just with his receiving unit, but one-on-one with each guy, getting to know their nuances. And that is what I think we're seeing. I also think that we, we saw a sign of respect, which I think they already have for Derek Carr in terms of the, uh, you know, the relationship as a, they have and, and that they look at him as the leader. But, you know, when he goes down and comes back later in the game, um, you know, that's just all a part of this bond that this team has talked about and, and why that they feel comfortable and trust one another. And that's what I thought of. It's just, you know, that it's, it's an evolution of trust of what this offense is capable of doing that Gruden you see has in, in his team. If you're sitting there or driving in your car and saying to yourself, why don't they talk about the defense? The defense was amazing. Don't worry. We're getting to the defense. We'll be there in good time. In 15 minutes, Ed Graney is going to join us from a Marriott property somewhere in America, likely in Pittsburgh, to grade the game with us. We're going to talk about the defense. We're going to talk about the Raiders' offensive line. We're going to talk about what must be talked about with Willie taught referenced with Derek Carr and John Gruden and their relationship and the very odd lower body bump that celebrated the Henry Ruggs touchdown. But when we come back in just a moment, will UNLV football win any games this year? And now Martell's going to run. He goes up through a hole in the middle and goes inside the 10 to the 9. First down. That's a nice run. He zigzagged his way for a first down. Well, I have to give Jared credit because... It was not easy to sift through the highlights of UNLV's 48-3 loss at Allegiant Stadium to Iowa State and find much positive. Uh, There just was not a lot to take out of that game for UNLV in what was a virtual road game with most of that crowd from Ames, Iowa, enjoying (coughs) the number, hello, the number 14 team in the country uh, running through UNLV at Willie, it's not much of a surprise that UNLV would lose to Iowa State. We we expected that. But I think the real question here is what is happening at quarterback for the Rebels? Doug Broomfield was not able to go today after being injured again, uh, on Saturday, I should say, against uh, Arizona State. He could not play in this game. That led to Cameron Friel moving up essentially from the bottom of the depth chart to start the game as a true freshman uh, for the Rebels, Justin Rogers moves to the bottom. Uh, Frio looked like you would expect a true freshman would look. Uh, the Rebels quarterback goes 8 of 13, 67 yards, 5 per attempt with an interception. Tate Martell does take a few dropbacks, get a few runs, 2 of 6 for 27 yards. But we're nine games into the Marcus Royal era. The Rebels during that time have been outscored by 198 points and more importantly it does not feel like we are necessarily closer to us knowing or even necessarily Marcus Arroyo knowing who is the quarterback of this team moving forward and I say that in part because Justin Rogers started the year uh we've talked a lot about how Broomfield has looked pretty good uh but if your offseason led to Rodgers being your starting quarterback, then it almost seems like it's a revelation to see Broomfield play as well as he has. And now you've skipped past on the depth chart, the guy who started the season for you for this game to go to a guy who was third or fourth string. So what do you think is happening right now at quarterback for Marcus Arroyo and the Rebels? Um, 
I think that Marcus, as a head coach, is not going to come out and say, I made a mistake, because in reality, there are more about lessons. And the lesson learned was that Rodgers was not the starting quarterback. It, it should have been Brumfield all along. And unfortunately, he got injured because at the very least, that guy gave the offensive unit some semblance and a little bit of confidence. And he, 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 he executed, you know, well. So he goes down. I think that Marcus <clears throat> looked at it like, okay, I can go back to Rodgers, who had no energy and somewhat looked lost with this unit, or I could throw Friel in there, who at the very worst is going to look like Rodgers did on opening night. So either way, I got two guys that I need to get acclimated, and Rodgers had his chance, so I might as well go with the fresh guy who's got who's a little bit hungry, and because no matter who you throw in there, okay, you're going against the 14th team in the nation who – his defense is superior and is one of the best in the country. You have a team that was coming off an in-state loss to Iowa that came off and that and that followed on the heels of a lackluster performance against Northern Iowa and was just looking to beat someone up, knowing that, you know, it's not like a basketball team that comes to Vegas playing the UNLV running Rebels. And Adam, you've been here long enough to know that when that happens, teams still want to beat up on UNLV. There's still that hype. It's more that, Here's a team coming to Allegiant Stadium, playing on the Raiders field, on the Las Vegas Strip, or just up from it, and they're going to want to flex their muscles after their first two weeks look the way that they did. And even Brock Purdy talked about that. That being said, I think Marcus was in a predicament where I got to go with somebody. Um, he said specifically that the the uh, the protocol and, and the, the system that was in place was to rotate the quarterbacks in certain situations. So he planned on doing that the entire time in terms of Friel and Tate Martell. Now I have been in the last year or so critical of Marcus in only one area. I've never been critical about his coaching because we haven't really seen his coaching last year, you know, with not a lot to work with the pandemic, so on and so forth, sort of gave him the benefit of the doubt. Um, um, it's more or less just been on how, sort of disclosure and, and what's going on and him, you know, it's, it's one thing you want to kind of create a power five atmosphere. You come from a, a, a place like Oregon, you want to sort of instill that, but at the same token, you know, in being so secretive and, and closed in and, and, and I don't know, I, 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 it's, it's more so the off the field at this point, Adam, couple games into the season, few games into the season, excuse me, I, I feel sorry for I, I almost feel sorry for the guy because I think that he doesn't know what to do with this team, this program that has scattered amounts of talent, but not enough to sort of work with and put together a competitive effort. You saw it somewhat against FCS Eastern Washington, but uh, I, Aaron Best, I don't know if he outcoached Marcus or he just has – he had a team that has cohesiveness throughout his roster, a team that's going to contend for the FCS National Championship. I honestly just don't know if it, Marcus is, does, knows what to do with the limited talent he has scattered amongst a program that just seems lost. These guys didn't even look competitive. I'm not comparing – Marcus Arroyo to Tony Sanchez, but what I am going to say is this. When Tony had his troops, his full 
uh, embodied roster, his recruits, his guys. Remember, this is not Marcus's team yet. They at least competed. They went to Michigan in the big house and competed in a loss. They competed. UCLA came in here and ran roughshod, but they competed. I think that Marcus just doesn't have the talent, the widespread talent on this roster, a stable quarterback, and I think that he probably knows what he's doing. He just doesn't have the personnel to do it yet, and that is what's tough on this guy. I, I, I came out of that stadium thinking to myself, man, I feel sorry for this guy. And it's understandable to feel sorry for someone going through such a challenging time. It's not new at UNLV. You know that well. And I think we have to be careful when we say that Marcus Arroyo is someone who is working the early stages of a rebuild. Because that rebuild always has a shelf life, especially in college football, especially with a new athletic director coming in. And... We can only give so much rope when it comes to that because you had an entire offseason plus a fall, uh, plus a summer camp to figure out who would be the starting quarterback for this team. And it's not as though you missed by a little. When Justin Rogers doesn't play against Iowa State, you're telling us without saying it that you screwed up that part of the process, that you put a guy out there who was not ready to be out there and he whether you say the quarterbacks were going to rotate or not he's the first guy who took the field and all of us are going to look at it and say if that guy had played well if Rodgers had played well we probably wouldn't have seen much of another quarterback and right. so if Broomfield looks good it's because he came in in relief of someone who didn't now did he has he looked good 11 of 26 for a 42 completion percentage with an interception and four sacks it hasn't been the best but it, there have at least been moments that say okay maybe this guy has something we can build on going forward but the problem is Marcus Arroyo in that secretive nature that you talked about what he what he says over and over again is we're learning we're growing we're learning we're growing if you have messed up the quarterback situation to the point where we are now about to enter game four your third consecutive game against a ranked team coming up against Fresno State on Friday and you have mismanaged the quarterback situation to the point where we're not exactly sure what's going on and it's easy to blame it on the injury but judging by game one and judging by what we saw in this game in which the quarterback air quotes rotation was so rigid and so stiff that you actually had to take a timeout at one point to avoid a penalty with the two quarterbacks interchanging for each other after one play then that rebuild you have set back yourself as the head coach, and that's the place where when you don't give us any information, when you're, when you're secretive, that we have to go on what we've seen about you. Not what you tell us, but what we've seen about you. And what we've seen is that this team has struggled to put a consistent product out on the field when it comes to quarterback and, frankly, when it comes to much else. We're going to talk to Ed Graney about that here in just a moment. Uh, he's going to grade how the Raiders victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers looked as well as a little talk of UNLV football. Ed Graney is coming to us likely from a Marriott property in Pittsburgh. The Raiders are 2 and 0. They won 26-17 over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ed are the Raiders good? It's all factual from what you said above. 
uh, Berg, Marriott, two and zero. I'll tell you what, they're better than I thought they were because I thought they were going to be one and one, and I was a little nervous picking them to beat Baltimore. So uh, they look pretty good through two weeks. I mean, to beat two AFC North physical teams like that, I thought that was pretty good. Long way to go, but. Yeah, I can't believe you'd sit there today and uh, say they weren't good. I think they look pretty good. Ed, the uh, you know uh, Adam asked me earlier. We started the show and just a lot of the same components. There are a couple of two second-year players, but in in a sense, the same two generals in terms of John Gruden and Derek Carr. And he asked, "Why this year? What?" after two weeks are we seeing what's different and and my answer was you know it's almost like you saw the relationship between harbaugh and jackson last night at the end there where he says do you want to go for it jackson says yes and harbaugh doesn't even flinch that trust factor that team aspect that vibe that they spoke of in the post-game press conference in pittsburgh yesterday um we've been talking about that that we've we've sensed a different aura and energy what are you seeing in terms of the relationship between Gruden and Carr and the offensive unit after two weeks that's different that we've seen in the past few seasons? That's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good question because I don't know if, and John said this yesterday, if his belief has changed. I think maybe our belief has changed. Um, you know, let's be honest. I think for two, three years now, everyone said, well, you can move on from Carr. Is it Brady? Is it Rodgers? this person or that person and to to a fault and I, and I always doubted this as well Willie John Gruden said we have our quarterback he's my quarterback I've always believed in Mike Mayock he's our quarterback I just think now people on the outside might be saying boy they might have been telling the truth um up until now it's always been well when's his dead money done when is he not guaranteed any more money uh and through these first two weeks I tend to believe and like I admitted in my column today, I was completely wrong about them being 2-0, and and I think I was completely wrong about Gruden's true t- trust in him. I think everyone just always thought, well, you're just saying that because you can't get anyone else, or, well, you're just saying that because Brady chose Tampa Bay. Um, but I do think now, in listening to yesterday, there might have been a lot more truth to what we thought in terms of Gruden's trust in him, and really Gruden and Mayock's belief that he's a great quarterback. Um, I, I just think that a lot of it, I mean, I'll just talk, speak for myself, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, were, was wrong about how much they trusted him and believed in him, and Carr is now proving them right with these first two weeks. I mean, I'm watching the TV this morning, and yes, it's two games, and people can say, oh, there's so much time left, and there is so much time left, but you go through two weeks, I mean, who's been a better quarterback? I know Brady has nine TDs, but he played a revamped Dallas defense, and he played Atlanta. I mean, you know, Carr's like right up there after two weeks has, you know, been the best in two weeks in the NFL, so... I think it's more we're starting to learn that maybe Gruden and Mayock were telling us the truth all along. Ed, Josh Jacobs was banged up, didn't look himself at all in game one, and obviously did not play in game two. And I said to Willie earlier, I think John Gruden's a better coach when he doesn't have Josh Jacobs to lean on. I think the Raiders' offense functions better when John Gruden is forced to put the ball in the air when he when he himself doesn't believe that he has the same running game and Derek Carr certainly looks more aggressive uh gave the stat earlier that he has thrown the ball down the field 10 times per game through two games this year as opposed to just more than five over his first few years with Gruden um so let me ask you a very Tyler Bischoff question is Josh Jacobs overrated (laughs) hold on I've got to get my analytics out and see what pro football focus said this week he might be rated last if he didn't play um 
I don't know if he's overrated, but I, I think you're onto something there. Look, when you have you know, when you have the Joker, uh, Kenyon Drake, and Peyton Barber as your options, maybe in the back of your mind you're saying, hey, we have to throw more. But I don't think they were going to run against Pittsburgh much yesterday, even if Josh Jacobs played. So I think they went in with a a thought process that they had to throw the ball. You saw that like right away. The other thing about Ben Roethlisberger is as, as poor as he was yesterday, he still kind of is that top three, four quarterback in, in comeback win. So I don't think they were ever comfortable uh, until maybe the maybe the toss to rugs for 61 yards, and they knew they had to throw and, and kind of keep that margin away because Roethlisberger has spent a career coming back like he did the first week against Buffalo. But Adam, I think you're you're right in that when Jacobs is on there and he's your he's your top running back and your high draft pick and the guy you know you're going to spend a lot of money on. There's more a sense of hey, we have to give him carries. We have to prove kind of his worth because he's our guy. Where it's much easier, like I said, if it's Barber and Drake, why do you have to prove anything? So yeah. I think there's a lot to that as well to where he was. it was much easier yesterday to call the game. And I'll say this. I thought he called a great game. The throw to Waller in the fourth quarter, that pass, was an incredible play call to end it, really, and to, to run it out. I thought that play call was tremendous. Now, the one against Ruggs, um, what, what I'm sure you guys saw is, you know, Waller did a great job there. He, you know, he, he made the safety bite on his route, and then Carr, Carr kind of looked him off, and then that allowed Ruggs to get deep. That was a great play by Carr. But I thought the play call to Waller, in the fourth was was just a tremendous play call. Not a lot of people would have made that call. You would have just ran it and kind of run it out, try to run it out. But I thought John coached as well yesterday as maybe he has since he took over. All right, let's get into some grades here. I'm going to start with the Raiders defense, Ed. What grade do you give the uh, Raiders defense? I didn't know we're doing great. So, Jared, just, you know, stay with me because I'm not sure where we're going. But – I have to. This will be easy because I put it in the paper, so I can't change it here. So I'll say A. A. You know they were blown coverages. Damon Damon Arnett had one. Arnett had one. Now you could have made the argument the guy pushed off. But this defense, the first two weeks, you know they've had some breakdowns. But man, I'll tell you what, they continue to get pressure on people. Um, you have a guy like Solomon Thomas yesterday get two sacks for the first time in his career when Ngakwe's obviously hobbled. Uh, to go out to and on. and the thing about it is Willie talked about the relationship between Gruden and Carr. If you listen to these guys afterwards, now I know it's easy to say this when you're two and zero. I get this. So if they're two and four, eventually maybe they won't be saying it. But I do think Gus Bradley's brought a new attitude to them, and he's brought in some of the faces he trusts most. And I just think when you're two and zero and you've gone through Baltimore and Pittsburgh, then I'm going to give most people an A here. All right, then we move on to quarterback, and as you mentioned. Potential two-week MVP candidate, Derek Carr. A. A. Now, <laughs> we wouldn't have been given him A last week because for two quarters he looked like he hadn't played very much. Uh, but he's put together six straight really good quarters. Rating of 126 yesterday, like 20 to 37, really, really efficient. Um, I thought the guy was really good yesterday. Um, the, these grades will be uh, uh Set his homerism. It's not that, but um, I think yesterday they were all pretty good. Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, that good, good. All right, Jared, we're going to do another number, another letter. Uh, D. D. Uh, Twenty-seven to forty. I get that two ninety-five, but I, even afterwards, um, he said, you know, he didn't play well enough. Eighty-seven rating. Um, didn't bring them back like he usually does. Uh, I don't think he played that well. You know, the Raiders did a good job kind of making it uneasy for him. He's still one of the best in stepping up and finding open guys and, and extending plays. But I listened to his uh, press conference yesterday, and he took the blame for the loss. I can't really give him a passing grade when he takes the blame for the loss. Okay. All right. Let, let's let's shift gears a, a little bit here. Um, 
UNLV football? <laughs> um, I. Asterisk. I. Incomplete. 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 Incomplete because after two games, I cannot tell you one thing about what they're trying to do. Um, uh, well, I've that's watched... particularly bad since they've played three. Yes, three games. My bad. My bad. Well, I, I, yeah, and I've watched all three. I, it was I don't know if Marcus can tell late, you what's going on either. It was a late night in the Berg, uh, but I did stay up and watch the whole thing. I, I don't know what he's doing at quarterback. I, I have absolutely no idea. And, and, and the interesting part about this, and you guys know as well as anyone, Willie really knows this. When he was hired, that's what we heard. Justin Herbert, Oregon, offense. This is who he is. He's coming. He's going to bring the offense. I have no clue what he's doing offensively. And the way they're playing quarterbacks, I think, is just – for a lack of a better word, completely befuddling. I have no clue what he's doing. Um, I okay. would settle on a quarterback, and unless the guy gets hurt, let the guy play. Because the way right. you're doing it now is not only probably confusing your own team, but it's not working. Um, they weren't good the other night. They're lucky that Iowa State didn't score in the mid in the mid 60s because they gave up two or three touchdowns that I saw, um, either with uh, not getting in on fourth, fumbling the ball away as the quarterback. I mean, it could have. I mean, it was ugly to begin with. It could have been really ugly. So they also sat there until they figure out. Point what they're doing at quarterback and for two years now he hasn't done that either because he doesn't have good enough quarterbacks or he's struggling figuring out what to do with a quarterback then to me it's incomplete obviously they're not a good team but i just want them one week to say this is our quarterback and he's going to be the quarterback going forward for two three four weeks and we're just going to settle on someone okay uh calling two timeouts down 21-0 <laughs> at the end of the first half trying to ice the opposing kicker uh, F. F. Thank but you. I also saw them get a delay a game out of halftime on the first play. So are we, are we, there's a lot of stuff that can go into these grades when we're talking uh, this this specific side of the thing. So okay. yeah, these are the these are the bizarre things that happen. All right, and and uh, before I before I throw the floor to Willie, uh, the, the city of Pittsburgh. Oh, D minus. D minus. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. It is, there are some beautiful parts. We were talking about, I can't, I, I'm so glad you gave me this great. Okay, there are some beautiful parts of Pittsburgh with the bridges and the river and, the, 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 you know, Heinz Field looking out. Beautiful, beautiful. I think this place shuts down at 6 p.m. I really do. <laughs> uh, there, there's, the, the restaurants, everything has shut down. You go, oh, we're closed. We're closed. I'm like, we're closed. The sun's still out. What are you talking about? We're closed. The best part is, like, on a Saturday – you know, you try to stay inside because of COVID and everything. You don't want to be out very much. So you, I ordered Uber Eats, and they took it. We're preparing your order. It'll be there in 40 minutes, which is fine. We're preparing your order. Watch some college football. They didn't say that, but I thought that. Uh, 39 minutes in, the Uber, the Uber driver calls and goes, place is closed down. I'm like, wait a minute. They just said they were preparing my order. How can they be closed down? Uh, so not, not, uh, not great in terms of how much uh, places stay open and, and what's going on. But it is beautiful in parts. Ed, now on a situation like that, you know I would have been on the phone talking about what are we going to do about this. Yes, you would have given the, hey, what are we going to do about this. I didn't, Willie, I couldn't do that to the Uber driver because I felt sorry for her because she actually went to pick it up. She goes, I'm um, sitting outside. It's closed. So I somewhat have a two-part uh, question uh, grade for you that I, I – so many highlights <clears throat> or so many posts – whether it was on social media, Instagram stories, Twitter, whatever, they, they edited out KJ Wright finishing off Najee Harris. But of course the, the big highlight for Pittsburgh was Najee Harris stiff arming Jonathan Abram, like a rag doll. Um, 
But it was funny because they took the whole, the entire play out of context because KJ Wright, the veteran that he is, came up and on the spin move, just dropped that guy almost like, okay, enough is enough. You just stiff armed my guy. Uh, the grade on Jonathan Abram getting ragdoll stiff armed and then into KJ stepping up and putting Najee in his place. F A pass. No, excuse me. Uh, uh, F. F. Pa- F fail. A pass. Fail. A pass. So you get the F by being stiff armed, and you can't, you know, if you F, get the F, you fail. And I'll give KJ the A in the pass on picking up his guy, much like Solomon Thomas going to pick up his guy if he was, if he was spit on. So uh, picking up your guy gets an A pass. All right. A, a pass. Ed Graney is in a Marriott in Pittsburgh today. He will be back on the press box here tomorrow. Ed, safe travels. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Thank you fellas. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, Ed. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out just how much Ed Graney charged us for that appearance on the show. Outcoached. Oh, I don't know if we got outcoached. Oh, we lost a game. I don't normally. That's a good question. I've been asked that question before. We lost a game. That is the voice of Pope, King, Overlord, Supreme Ruler, and 0-2 NFL coach Urban Meyer of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who cannot be questioned, will not be questioned, will not admit a mistake until he arrives in Los Angeles as the next head coach of USC. No, we're not breaking news. We're just saying that uh, the Urban Meyer experience, not great so far in Jacksonville, the NFL, is going to be plenty of a topic outside of just Urban Meyer. Plenty more coming in about 15 minutes. Uh, right now, I don't know. Willie Ramirez joining me, Adam Candy, here on the Press Box. Greeny and Bischoff return tomorrow. Um, Ed just joined us by phone a few minutes ago. Jared, uh, did Ed did Ed send you the invoice yet for, for that appearance? No, uh, he's says that he wants to deliver it in person okay that's fine um let me ask you this real quick do you think that urban meyer charges for his press conference appearances on top of the salary he makes just to show up for a press conference um you know i feel like it's a gift to all of us so maybe he should charge maybe he should charge because you can't get uh you can't get arrogance like that just on the street like you have to go and look for it. You have to go yeah. find somebody with such an enormous self-belief and, and inability to admit that his team has looked thoroughly and completely overmatched uh, through a couple of weeks. So maybe he should charge. Maybe he should charge more, in fact, than uh, Dan Clark. Who's Dan Clark, you ask? In fact, who's Dan Clark? I had to ask uh, by the time we decided what we were going to talk about on the show today. Uh, Dan Clark apparently is a sports reporter by his own words um and it's really not important what the name is uh it's a tweet that he put out over the weekend and if you're about to say why are you guys complaining about stuff like this then you know what just give us a minute because we need to explain a little bit of inside baseball and why this is so offensive uh dan clark put out a tweet that said i've always charged 50 to 100 dollars per podcast guest appearance as i spend at least an hour prepping followed by a 25 to 30 minute discussion. I also promote the appearance, both pre and post recording to help grow their following. Yesterday, a guy asked me onto his podcast. I explained my fees. He responded with F off. I guess my question is, do people just expect S for free nowadays? Why should I invest two plus hours of my time and not be 
and you should be fined just for saying this, remunerated for it. His response was disgusting and highlighted to me why some podcast appearances just aren't worth the cash. What a rude a-hole. No wonder he only has a small following. Oh, I love when people follow or shame. Uh, with an attitude like that, he will never grow into something successful. Jerk. Um, Willie. Yes. I've never charged anybody to appear on a podcast, a radio show, um, a a Kmart opening, anything else. Um, have you ever charged anybody for a podcast appearance? Absolutely not. I I think I I think I uh, I think given given the people that have asked me on their shows or podcasts, I should probably pay them for letting me on there. <laughs> Fair assessment. Here's here's the obnoxious thing. We are in a business that many of you know is very difficult to make a living in in the first place. We do not get rich off this. Yes, we get to cover sports for a living. We get to go out there and do fun things, and we don't take it for granted. So when someone says they're going to charge someone else in a business where it's hard enough just to hold on to a job, 50 to to $100 for coming on what is essentially a bar conversation that you had a tape recorder out on, it's offensive. I I tell you what, uh, on, on, on the afternoon show, uh, we had Frank Caliando on about a week and a half ago, and he bent over backwards to make it work for us. Uh, there's no invoice coming from a guy like Frank Caliando. If there's anybody who could charge for an appearance, this guy, he's out of his mind. <sighs> Dan Clark, you're the jerk. Get a clue, clown boy.